In this chapter, we've been looking at several different exhortations Paul has given. Exhortations concerning our position and our disposition. Exhortations concerning our heart. Exhortations concerning our thoughts. Last week, we're in verse 8. And Paul telling us these things upon which we're to think. Now verse 9, he says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. It's one thing to know what to do. It's another thing putting it into practice. I was talking to somebody this week. In order to do a good thing, would have to be dishonest to do so. But is lying ever right? And he and I had a long discussion about it, and the answer is obviously no. But you and I need to not just be hearers of the Word, not just understand the Word, but be doers of the Word. And that's truly what this passage is talking about. You and I need to take what we learn and apply it to our lives. Now, I'm glad we're not talking about if we don't follow what God has commanded us to, we're going to end up losing, not our salvation, but we will end up losing rewards because we're not following Christ the way we should. And also, we would not enjoy an abundant life now. I've said many times, the most miserable people on earth are carnal Christians. Because a carnal Christian knows how they ought to be living, but chooses not to. And in their carnality are very miserable people and make all those around them extremely miserable. So we're going to look at three points. First, we're going to see things that are true. Secondly, things that you should do. And then lastly, God is with you. So we need to not only learn how to live, but also how to apply what we know and be a doer of the Word. Again, let's ask the Lord for guidance, please. Father, I pray you give wisdom as we examine this passage this morning. Help us, Lord, to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Those things which you have both learned. Well, learning requires study, does it not? We've been going Wednesday nights talking about how to study the Word of God. We need to be studying the Word of God. Several have come to me within the last several months asking, what can I do to learn more in my personal study of the Word of God? I'm going to tell you, there's, there's a lot of things that thrill a preacher's heart, but one of the things that in my life that I find most thrilling is when people want to learn how to study the Bible and come and ask help, how do I learn how to study the Bible? There's many helps out there to help you learn. But we need to be careful that we're learning sound doctrine. Titus 1, 9 through 11, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to be sound, by, by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouth must be stopped, who pervert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Now this exhortation here in Titus is given to pastors, but it's so they can exhort and convince the gainsayers. Listen, there's still gainsayers out there today teaching false doctrine, not teaching sound doctrine, teaching all kinds of falsehoods, and we need to be able to present the truth in such a manner that shuts them down. 
We have this happening all across our nation and in, unfortunately, in many so-called churches today, these false doctrines being promoted over the last several weeks. And I haven't followed it closely, but I have seen a few articles about the United Methodists have split over the issue of, I believe it's over gay preachers. Um, Folks, that shouldn't even be argued in anybody that calls himself a Christian. But yet they're saying, well, yeah, it should be, it should not be. And again, to the best of my knowledge, it's the conservatives who said this is wrong, who ended up having to leave and start yet another denomination. Because Satan is the author of confusion, is he not? Folks, how do we defend it? I am thankful for the series we're covering in Sunday school. And while we're going to start Lesson 10 today, we've been doing this for I don't know how many weeks, but... It doesn't really matter as long as we're learning how to defend and give an answer for the faith that we have. Now, as we study, we expect a new Christian, like a babe, to consume the milk of the word, right? 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Mary's not here this morning, but Lord willing, she will be later. But we don't expect her to eat a steak dinner yet. Someday, Charlie, you get the privilege of taking her out for steak dinner. But not yet. You wouldn't expect it. You expect her to have the milk of the milk right now. The problem is, is some people have been saved for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're still on the bottle. It's just as if we had a child who was 15 who still had a bottle. We'd all think that's pretty weird. They need to grow up. So you and I, in our Christian life, need to grow up need to grow in the Word. It's okay for a baby Christian to be a baby Christian, but it's not okay for one to stay a baby Christian. And I will tell you, and I am thankful that I believe this trend is finally reversing, but for many years, one of the biggest problems in independent Baptist churches was not discipling people. We were great at out, going out there and winning souls but as soon as, we had their, uh, as soon as we had a profession of faith, we'd chalk them up, we'd get them baptized, and we'd, but we never taught them anything. I am thankful that trend is slowly dying. I think actually very rapidly dying. Because you know what it created? A lot of immature, shallow Christians. We need people who are grounded in the Word. And so we need to study the word. We need to have discipleship for young Christians. But mature Christians can enjoy the meat of the word. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not a strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth unto them that are full of age, even those who by reason have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know, our spiritual maturity is kind of like anything else. We've got to use it to help it grow, right? You want your muscles to grow, you need to use them. You want your brain to 
work better, you got to use it, right? So you and I need to use, if you will, the senses or the, the, the understanding of the Word of God in order for it to grow. In other words, when you go and you hear, whether it be on the news, whether it be some meeting you go to or whatever, you hear the world talking, you need to be able to discern what is true, what is right, and what is wrong according to the Word of God. And it, and it is an exercise of reasoning, if you will. Holy Spirit enlightened reasoning. Not humanistic reasoning, but taking principles of the Word of God. So, for instance, let's say you decide to go listen to the school board, okay? And as you're hearing things, you're like, that doesn't sound right. You should be able to give biblical reason or biblical principles why it's not right and what is right. Do you follow what I'm saying? Not just say, uh, that don't sound right to me. Now, maybe initially a young Christian would just, that's all they know. I don't know, that don't sound right. But as you grow in the word, you should be able to give a reason why it's not right. Or if you hear some preacher on the radio or a preacher on TV, you should be able to say, that's not right. That's not what God said. That's not what God taught. Dealt with a young individual recently. And this is, again, why you got to be careful. This person recently saved, went to a Bible study, and the whole Bible study was on the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And so the two extremes that were taught in this Bible study were Calvinism and Arminianism. And so this individual asked me, which are you? I said, neither. I said, there is a third position, and that is the biblical position, that God is completely sovereign. Man does have a complete free will. There are two parallel thoughts that do not intersect, and any time you try to make them intersect, you will come up with crazy doctrine, hence the extremes. I said, but we accept both by faith because both are taught in the Word of God, and there's a balance between the two. I said, God is completely sovereign. His will will be accomplished, but man has a complete free will to choose whatever he wants to do. Here's the problem. This individual, being young in the faith, went and heard this being presented and thought it must be true. Why? Because they aren't grounded enough in the Word of God to understand that's not true. Discipleship is important. When you have the privilege of leading somebody to Christ, I think it's wrong to say, I did my job. But I believe now you have a responsibility to take that individual and help them to grow. To help disciple them and teach them the Word of God. You wouldn't have a baby and just abandon it, would you? Well, it's kind of the same thing. Leading somebody to Christ and then, okay, they're good. But we need them to help them understand basic Bible doctrines. Now, Obviously, if they just got saved, they should understand salvation, but there's nothing wrong with doing a lesson and teaching them about salvation because did you understand everything that happened to you when you were first saved? No. Okay. And nor do you expect them to remember everything the first time you teach it, but you teach them that. And then what's something else a lot of young Christians struggle with? Assurance of salvation. So you need to teach them about assurance. What does it mean to know that I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt without any, without, with a complete assurance is what I'm trying to say, that I am a child of God. Okay, 
what about a lesson or a help or a time when you teach them what baptism really means? Other than saying, hey, you want to join the church, you need to get baptized. Just go in the tank, get wet, it's okay. For what? What does it mean? What is the purpose of baptism? Why am I being baptized? Also help them understand, because this is taught in way too many false denominations today, that baptism is where you actually get saved. It's not. And so we need to help people understand that is an act of obedience after salvation. Do we teach people why it's important to be a church member? Why is it important to be a church member? Is it important to be a church member? I think it is. Where would you take them in the Bible to show? Now, I know we've done classes on all this and helped, hopefully, many of you know, the importance of church attendance, how to have a personal Bible study, how to pray, the importance of tithing, why should we tithe? how to tell others about their faith in Christ, how to live a victorious Christian life. And we could go on and on with different things that they need to learn. But once you have led somebody to Christ, you have the responsibility to teach them these things. And may I say, be patient. Because just as rearing a child, a child doesn't get the lesson the first time. Or the second or the third. Last Tuesday, I was invited to go out to uh, Goldsboro to a group called Liberty First, and I was asked to speak a little bit about proper parenting, and I dared mention uh, corporal punishment and spanking and whatnot. And this one lady got very mad, and she says, all you got to do is take your child and look them square in the eye and tell them what you want, and they will listen. And I was like, well, ma'am, I said, the Bible does talk about corporal punishment. And I said, I'm not talking child abuse. And I said, I know one thing. I said, I know how I was, and I also know how my son was. And I said, this seems like maybe more so boys than girls, but we're pretty thick-headed. There's only one way to get through to us. She didn't appreciate my answer, but it's true. But when we give the word, we need to make sure it's clear. And again, we've talked about defining our terms, making sure what we are saying is what they're understanding. So in the point of things that are true, there's the things we have learned. Then Paul says the things we have received, and then the things we have heard. Paul commends the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. When we come and listen, we need to listen with anticipation of receiving a blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something about sitting in person listening to somebody versus, you know, nowadays everything they want to do it on all these um, Zoom and Skype and whatever meetings. I have sat through some of those meetings and there's so much around me that wants to take my attention away from the meeting, that I'm not focused on what they're saying. And unfortunately, they don't come with a rewind button either to listen to them again. But when we come to church, we need to come anticipating receiving a blessing. Now, we should be a blessing to others, but I believe we should anticipate hearing from God from His Word. And by the way, I want to say thank you Almost every guest preacher who comes here says, this crowd is real easy to preach to. They respond. You do. 
You might not think you are, but you're, first of all, you actually make eye contact, most of you. There are a few who might count the ceiling tiles and some who might fall asleep and whatever, but most of you actually are making contact. And then when you get it, you nod. And then we even have a few who realize if I want to eliminate distractions, I don't sit in the back, I sit toward the front. And then some of you have even gone to the step of taking notes. All these are wonderful. You know why? It's for your benefit. The more senses you have exercised, the more you're going to retain. And also, you take the notes, you can go back and review them later. Or you could do as one individual does, say, you know, you preached that five years ago. I'm like, thank you. Don't write it in the margin of your Bible, then you won't know that. Put it in a notebook. <laughs> <laughs> I have had somebody come to me. I said, yes, I did. You're right. I said, do you remember from five years ago? No, but I saw the notes. I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> you all looking at me like, really? You've re reused your notes? Yes, I have, okay. It's okay, because, you know, you didn't remember it. I promise you, you didn't. And God's word does not change exactly right. There's nothing new under the sun. Listen with readiness. Having a ready mind. Remaining alert. Following the preaching. Listen with carefulness. Search the scriptures to see if what is being said is true. Again, the individual who went to this Bible study, and as they're discussing the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, say there's only two options. You must believe one at almost the exclusion of the other, or believe this one at almost the exclusion of this one. No, you don't have to. You can believe both are true in God's Word. And by the way, Arminianism is just as dangerous as Calvinism because it's still a false doctrine. And to preach that man has a free will almost at the exclusion of the sovereignty of God, which most Arminians end up being free willers, which means that you can sin yourself out of your salvation, which means you never have assurance of your salvation, is just as dangerous as the Calvinist who says, you really never had any choice in the matter. God sovereignly designed you for heaven and everybody else for hell. And by the way, if you ever call a Calvinist out on that, they will usually deny it and say, that's not what we're saying. Then get them to explain it. Well, actually, just don't bother with them because most of them are so arrogant and they're going, to pretend, they're going to pretend like they somehow have a corner of education that you don't and they're going to try to make you feel insignificant and insecure. This next point probably should be for the Sunday morning later service, not the Sunday morning early service. And that is not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now I say that because I think it's no secret that as the morning grows, the crowd grows, right? And then when we come back on Wednesday, the crowd is small again. I'm thankful for each who do come, okay? I'm not saying that. I wish they understood when I asked them to come for every service, I'm not asking for my sake, I'm asking for theirs. Because the Word of God tells us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Let's consider one another, and provoking the love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a man or some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Interesting phrase. 
so much more as you see the day approaching. Folks, I know there's no signs to be given of the rapture. But you do know when Christ returns, there's a lot of signs when Christ returns to set up his kingdom. There's a lot of signs given. Do we not see things already lining up for that event? If you can't see that, folks, wow. So much more as we see the day approaching, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But in order to be an obedient Christian who's following God and growing, you do need to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This was one of my major contentions when the whole government said that churches were non-essential. That we should just do Zoom meetings. May I say, I hated those five weeks that we were doing Zoom meetings. I absolutely hated every moment of it. Because we were not together fellowshipping with one another. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. It became quite apparent that we are very distracted when I, I saw what I saw on the screen with some individuals while I'm preaching, doing other activities. If you don't remember, don't worry about it. There's something special about being together with God's people, is there not? And while we had the preaching of the word, did we have time where you could go just be an encouragement to one another? Not the same as we can here. And we need to be careful that we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Then Paul says, things you have seen in me. Paul was living an example for others to follow. You and I need to live what we preach. I used to tell my kids this often growing up, especially in their teen, later teen years, don't look for an example, be the example. May I say to each of you, don't always look for the example, be the example. Don't wait for somebody to stand up and lead, be the one that stands up and leads. Don't wait for somebody else to do right, stand up and do right. And I promise you, if you're willing to stand up and do what is right, Others will follow. We went to Raleigh last summer, and we got to meet with our senator, who, when he came into the room, already had a bad attitude. Because Mike was in the room, and he and Mike were legislators together, and apparently didn't get along. And so he, he automatically made an assumption that this was going to be a bad meeting. It got into a yelling match between the two of them and Mike was heading for the door and going to walk out probably not to come back to the meeting seeing this meeting deteriorate very quickly I stood up and I said everybody stop right where they are I, I basically said look we're supposed to all be Christians in this room we're supposed to be adults in this room I said so we all need to start acting like it and I called several people out who were really at each other by name, including the senator, and said, we need to reset and start this meeting over again. Now, did I want to do that? No. Was I nervous doing it? Yes. But the meeting turned around after it, did it not? Now, I'm not trying to put credit on me, okay, because I believe God just led me to do it. 
But if I wasn't going to stand up, if nobody else had choose, chosen to stand up, this meeting would have ended on a very sour note. And I promise you, all the people who were in that meeting would have walked out of there and it would have been a great animosity toward the different groups that were there. Sometimes you got to stand up and do the right thing. It really doesn't matter. Just do what's right. Always do what's right. Be willing to stand up. Be willing to be that example. All right, we're going to run out of time if I don't move on. Point number two, things that we, you should do. So we had the things that are true. Point number one, number two, things that we should do. Being a doer of the word. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, Paul says. Do it. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway, forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh in a perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. One thing I have learned in life is your actions speak louder than words. My wife and I used to be in, very heavily involved in a bus ministry. And it's amazing how many of the parents would send their kids off to church, but the parents would never go to church. And then they'd wonder why their kids still were turning out wrong. As the dad's sitting there with a cigarette in one hand, a beer in the other. Oh, take my kid to church. That'll help him out. Where's the example? Your actions speak louder than words. I heard a phrase a long time ago, your walk walks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. If you get that one out straight, you did well. This do as I say, not as I do, does not work. You and I need to lead by example. Our actions do matter. And let's stop putting it aside, let's put aside the excuses of, it's just the way I am. Well, it might be the way your natural man is, but God has created in you a new creature, and he wants you to be Christ-like, and he can change the way you are, and the way you respond, and the way you act toward others. But your actions are going to show what you truly believe. Again, in verse 8, Paul goes through these things upon which we're to think. And what you're thinking is what's going to come out in action and your actions are going to reflect what's truly in your heart. You will make time for what is important to you. And it's important, Christian, that we maintain a proper testimony. Others are watching, so we need to set a proper example. People are always watching. The lost is watching you every day you go to work, every day you go about your business. Those that know you're a Christian are watching you and they want to see something different in you and they should see something different in you. It takes a lifetime to build a testimony but only a moment of foolishness to destroy it. That's a scary thought. It takes a lifetime to build a testimony but only one moment of foolishness to destroy it. That's why it's important we're walking with Christ every day. Being a doer, not just a hearer. Do those things that we know we're supposed to do. I've shared this before, but I'll share it again quickly. Years ago, when I was at Walmart in Shelby, 
I was working in sporting goods, and the guy from automotive comes over. He goes, I need to talk to you. I was like, sure. He goes, privately. So we went off site. He goes, I've been watching you for the last two years. There's something different about you. I want to know what makes you tick. So I took him to 11 o'clock. We got off work. We went to Denny's. I sat down at the table, had my Bible. The waitress comes up. She saw my Bible. She sits down with me. She goes, you have a Bible. Are you a preacher? I said, I'm studying to be. She goes, well, I got all these questions. She starts asking questions, had opportunity to share the gospel with her while I'm waiting for my friend to get off work and my coworker to get off work. And then he shows up about 11.30 and I said, do you want to know what makes me tick? I said, it's Jesus Christ. And so I shared the gospel with him and he got saved. Folks, I wouldn't, and I don't say that to brag on me. It's nothing I did, okay? It was actually a very scary thing. Somebody saying, I've been watching you for two years. I'm like, ooh. Are you setting that kind of example that they say there's something different about him or her? I want to know what it is. Moving on to point number three is God is with you. God is with you. And the God of peace shall be with you. I love the way that's worded because it's not the peace of God. The God of peace will be with you. Now, we do have the peace of God rolling in our hearts, right? But it says the God of peace will be with you. You know what that means? His very presence is with you. As he's promised in Hebrews 13.5, he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But not only his presence, not only his peace, but his power, because God empowers you to do. You and I cannot live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit in us and yielding to him. It's the power of God working in us that enables us to do these things, that enables us to think on the things we're supposed to in verse 8 that enables us to have the proper position and disposition, as we studied before. All these are possible through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And the God of peace shall be with you. So we need to learn things that are true, which are the things that we must do, and God will empower you to do what is right. It's not just a matter of learning the Scriptures and proper doctrine but it's applying those to our heart and lives. Not just growing in knowledge, but growing in grace. Growing more Christ-like. And being able to apply the Scriptures to every decision, every area, every thought, everything we do, applying scriptural principles in all we do. To, why? For the glory of God. Doing it all for the glory of God.